and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Arbo's most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Rupert Morehouse. We're back for a new arc, Cine DA 14.1. Let's do it. It opens up with some nice familiar ground. Blake and his team basically discussing what it's like eating humans. So good, good time. <laughs> yeah, very relatable, uh, everyday topic. Uh, I, I mean, interestingly, the, the chapter basically opens up with this small beat of Blake just sort of mentioning, oh, you know, my body is creaking and fighting against me. And obviously this is important because something we saw a lot, particularly, I think it was last arc, was this idea that uh, Blake's body sort of fought him when he was not doing abyssy type things. So I guess the abyss is a little pissed off with him that he's taking the time to, to shore himself up and he's not out there causing more carnage constantly. Um, which, like, talk about a shit boss, like... <laughs> yeah, this is something I want to touch on, because later on, Alistair seems to imply that the Abyss, you know, wants Blake to take another trip downtown, and wasn't he basically just, like, completely enforcing the Abyss's will last arc? I'm a little surprised that the Abyss is unhappy with him. I I get the impression that it, it's it's a very different type of trip. I think... Is it, like the, the way Alistair phrases it is Hills Glade House is coming with you. I think there's a sense of uh, the Abyss is lumping a lot of things on Blake and is going to try and use him as like a conduit to take everything down with him. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, that, that's sort of the vague idea I've gotten from, from how this chapter ends. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know. This bit just jumped out to me and I was like, fuck you, Abyss. Like, you know. You give the guy a second to put himself in a position where he can be at your whim more. Like, he's he's doing yeah. this for you. Well, he's not, but he kind of is. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the abyss, kind of a dick. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> before we get too much deeper into this chapter, let's touch on the arc title and how perfect of an arc title it is. Elliot, do you want to take this away? <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually sort of mentioned it last episode, but it was after we stopped recording, um, which was, you know, not how recording works mm-hmm. uh but obviously cine da the legal term is you know for when you adjourn something with no date of resumption so it's kind of putting it off indefinitely um sort of uh but the literal translation from latin is without a day which is just perfect yeah uh, i mean for what's about to happen it's so good it's actually so perfect of an arc title that it actually makes me think while both came across this legal term and was like, oh, I can base an arc around this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, either that or, like, you could just you could just see him, like, finding this term and just being like, holy fuck, jackpot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, yeah, so this chapter really starts kind of in an interesting place. Like, it, it kind of goes a bit off the rails right from the get-go, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's this sense of like, this is what taking a breather looks like in, in PAX these days, is uh, going around talking about eating people and goblin torture and, and looking for, yeah. you know, new, new spines to shove in yourself and get out of the way, Evan. Uh, it's it's a nice way to sort of take a breather, do some character work, but also pact is still a really fucked up world. And, you know, so we're still sort of, it's never just like, Oh, you know, and then they went back home and had some nice hot cocoa and talked about, you know, life in the universe. This is sort of the as relaxed as it gets here. Yeah. Um, Blake's idea of re- rejuvenating himself 
you know, back in Arc 4 was hanging out with his friends and now it's yeah. eating the arm bones of a corpse that's <laughs> been tortured. <laughs> so things have gone a bit downhill, I think. Um, I let's, let's pull out a line here where Evan is kind of not being, you know, Blake and Green Eyes don't want Evan to see this man that's been tortured to death by a goblin. And Evan says... You're not letting me see this? You know the kind of horrible gunk I've seen? Old Gobby McNail face back there? People dying? I bit a man's eye? You're going to tell me this is... And he gets cut off. But, so as as Evan's running through these bona fides, all I can think of is like, Blake, this would be a great opportunity for you to realise all the horrible shit that you've put Evan through. And that realisation <laughs> does not cross his mind. Um. Yes, well... Nobody mentions the whole killing the guy a, yeah. few, a few chapters ago. I mean, you've got that written here in your notes, and I was just like, that's a very good point. I'm kind of okay with Evan forgetting that's happened, but Blake should not. Blake should yeah. feel very bad. Um, so, I mean, surely, surely that's going to come back and bite him in the ass at some point. I mean, I don't know. It seems like they've conveniently forgotten that Blake got <laughs> Evan to kill a guy. Um, if if everyone has forgotten and it's just like it's not going to emotionally scar Evan or anything, I'm I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah, you're not you're not rooting for Evan to get emotional damage. No, exactly. Sure. Um, speaking of emotional damage, there's this interesting <laughs> beat that goes out throughout this chapter where Green Eyes has had basically so much fucked up horrible situations in her life that she actually has gained a lot of really um, insightful knowledge from it. Like, she, she's able to kind of diagnose what these goblins were doing by torturing this man. I, I mean, I think this is what's so great about Green Eyes' character, is how she alternates between being, like, a really nice and sweet person and someone who's just so casual about incredibly fucked up shit. Yeah. Um, like, the way she can sort of pivot a conversation from, you know, just, just a nice playful banter with Evan to... um. You know, I yeah, I used to like try and scavenge from these goblins who would do stuff I'm not even comfortable saying to corpses. Yeah. Um, so I kind of know how they work. Uh, and she's got a couple of of other bits later in this chapter, and you just sort of like, oh god, grey eyes. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, but I I like that it gives her these these unique insights. Um, because mm. it, it lets her diagnose some monstrous stuff, which is. Blake is still relatively new to, like, he still doesn't know a lot about different kinds of others, so it's good to have Green Eyes able to explain some of this stuff from a, you know, from a narrative perspective. <laughs> and apparently she's an expert on gods. I mean, that one has stuck with me from <laughs> an arc and a half ago. Yeah. Um, another interesting line is uh, Blake talking to Evan um, and basically telling him, hey, I might not be around forever, so you should be friends with Green Eyes because you two are going to need each other when I'm gone, or just in case, he says, but, you know. Yeah. And again, not commented on by the rest of the group. This is the kind <laughs> of line that I would have expected at least Evan to pipe in and say, oh, don't talk like that, we're all going to be okay, or whatever. But doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess uh, every seventh arc is the arc of everyone just accepting that Blake's going to die soon. Um, yeah, you're right, like, it is a bit weird. I mean, he is not the best at self-care he kind of had to be forced to go on this and his body isn't even agreeing with it but um it, it's weird that nobody is like oh you know blake you're gonna be fine we'll we'll fight for you they're all just kind of like yeah yeah that's that's how you act i guess yeah yeah it's it's weird i don't know um and even green eyes doesn't say anything there which i would no. have expected her to as well anyway uh so after they have finished discussing you know their 
eating of humans. Um, Blake kind of reveals his new plan, which is to fuck with the Bames a bit more. <laughs> if you ask me, the new plan is the old plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, so it's interesting that this chapter sets up um, Blake thinking that the Bahames are, are, are too big for their boots to want to help tangle with Johannes. Like the idea is before the Bahames will band together with the Duchamps, we got to knock them down a few pegs so they actually need to, um, which is not correct. Like this chapter kind of proves, and last chapter with what Alistair was talking about, proves that that they already are in a position where they want to band together against Johannes. Um, yeah, and I mean, of course they would. If it's if it's now between them and, and Johannes, like, of course you're not going to have to convince them. That's why I kind of have to assume part of it is just he just wants to take down the Bahamas. Yeah, um, definitely. We, we, we all know that's his jam. Uh, and he's basically here, in my opinion, making the decision that he'd rather get everybody versus Johannes then sort of end up in the situation where he's trying to rally everyone against the Bahames. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they head off to, to try and fuck with some Bahames, but before they can, they get intercepted by a gaggle of others. Uh, Pizza Revenant... Is that, the, is that the collective noun for others? Yep, a, ga- a gaggle, but, but, yeah. Okay. Um, what else would you call a group of others? Answer well, some discussion change. thread. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could change depending on the other, right? Like if it was Boogeyman... I don't know. It could be a, a, yeah. I don't know. What's what? What, what would what would you say the one for boogeyman might be? A boogie bunch. Yeah, boogie bunch of boogeyman. I like it. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's there's Pizza Revenant, uh, the faceless woman, and some others. Um. And and Pizza Revenant's face looks even more like a pizza because he's been so badly burned last time they met. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Green Eyes certainly seems to think us <laughs> think so. Like speaking of our fucked up Green Eyes lines. She just is like, oh man, now I'm hungry again. Yep, and this dude nice. with a burnt face shows up and it's like, wow, real classy, green eyes. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they basically decide to become allies, which is unexpected. Like, it, it has the vibe as it's happening of, oh, okay, here's the threat for this chapter. Let's start the fight. Let's do it. And uh, no, they're very reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so obviously the Revenant sort of says... Oh, there's no permanent damage to my face, so, you know, it's all good. I'm not really looking to, to hold a grudge. Um, I kind of latched onto this idea that it's a good thing that he's able to heal because maybe Blake can heal some more sometime mm. when he when he gets to slow down. Or, or is it a sign that the Revenant's just as cavalier about these sorts of things as Blake? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's it's kind of, I think it's interesting that the Boogie Bunch that we see here are so readily like happy to forgive past grievances and form alliances which is something that practitioners clearly are not uh, super keen on doing that frequently uh, just another little beat of who's the real monster here i guess <laughs> yeah uh you're you're right it feels very different and that, that that's part of this turn from them all creeping out of the shadows and you're like oh this is real bad and then it's just immediately like so yeah you know we've been on opposite sides and, and that sucks but um, these guys are clearly worse, so you just want to team up some. Yeah. And, uh, everyone's just so open, uh, so agreeable. Uh, obviously, the way the chapter ends later, maybe the abyss is, is pushing things in that direction. Um, but again, this is packed just because there's an in-universe explanation for why something happen- why something's happening. It doesn't mean that the rest of the symbolism isn't there. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I, I really like this because karma is something that really emphasizes this sort of eye for an eye revenge type stuff 
And so, like, boogeymen kind of directly contradict it right here. Um, well, you know, the Pizza Revenant in, in particular. Uh, and, and also, you know, they don't seem to be as selfish, which is another thing Karma seems not designed to do, but it does kind of reward all yeah. the selfish, uh, walled-off behavior. So I just like this idea of not just Blake, but a bunch of boogeymen representing the, the bad parts of the system through it being their strengths. Yeah, yeah. I, I just It's just very interesting to me that the story is so explicitly talking about how easy these boogeymen can make alliances. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's obviously meant to contrast to what the practitioners are doing, and I, I, I love that. Yeah, way to set a really low fucking bar, uh, yeah. practitioners. Yeah. Um, so here's another interesting line that Evan says. Uh, they're talking about the plan, and Evan asks, We going to assassinate Bahames? That'll be a little weirder than anything else tonight, I think. Strangers, okay, but I've been watching Bahames and I know their faces. Um, <laughs> again, not commented on how okay Evan is with, one, assassinating strangers, and how kind of easy it is to convince him to assassinate people that he's met before and seem to have positive interactions with. Nobody addresses this. It's, it's yeah. like... <laughs> I was like, I was like shaking my screen at this point, being like, "Somebody say something!" Like, like, because Evans just sort of like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, let's kill strangers, no worries." It's like, no, no, yeah. Um, I I really hope we get Ty back. I feel like Ty is the as the other person who's bonded with Evan might be the one to finally call Blake out on what's been happening with Evan. I mean, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, so. Blake uh, wants to visit Hillsglade House to get more info before before he takes down Alistair. Um, but the the boogie bunch kind of reveal to Blake that Alistair is actually also at the house right now. So they kind of just head over there to, I guess, confront Alistair. They don't really think too much about it. Blake's just kind of like, oh, well, let's go to the house anyway. Well, I got the impression that's actually exactly what Blake was hoping for and, and banking on. Um, like, hmm. he... He wants to tackle the Bahames, but he's not actually looking to just assassinate as many Bahames as he can. Um, yeah. Surprisingly. Uh, his, <laughs> his thing is he wants to take away their source of power, um, which is whatever Alistair's connection to it is. So I think like finding Alistair was actually the whole goal. I it's see. Just kind of like, that's why he's like, they're like, oh, but Alistair's at the house. And Blake's kind of like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Two birds, one stone. Um, uh, I don't want to harp on this too much, but Green Eyes is just a great addition to this team, right? Like, she's consistently great throughout this entire chapter. Yeah, I mean, so is Evan, and Green Eyes and Evan also now have absolutely fantastic chemistry. Like, they're working off each other very well, uh, comedically. Uh, Like, the whole bit with the pregnant rat versus the fighting game, and Evan just sort of being like... (laughs) okay yep that'll do uh so yeah and um like it's just that they're both hilarious in and of themselves and they're working off of each other very well it's it, it is very good yeah they, they have great chemistry you're right um they both interact because well actually maybe this is something to be worried about they both kind of have this or green eyes especially has this innocent but then sometimes monstrous vibe and maybe that's mm. what Evan is tending towards with this uh, mostly innocent, but then sometimes just murders people. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, some people have commented since uh, Blake first lent him some of his own spirits that Evan has a bit of abyss in him. So, and he obviously stirs this connection to Blake. I'm wondering at what point maybe we should just start to consider Evan part boogeyman. Mm. Um, 
hopefully that's a reversible condition for him at least <laughs> yeah we'll see um and okay here's another thing the the pizza revenant is talking about they're talking about you know human flesh and all that good stuff uh, bonding over it and the pizza revenant says if it's not recognizable as human after the fact and you can leave it by the side of the road for a cleanup crew there's something to be said for that kind of talking about how easy it is to dispose of bodies sometimes and it just made me think Blake is so gung-ho on killing all the monsters but these monsters are clearly monstrous even if they're being nice <laughs> to him right now it's kind of like if the monsters are humans I'll kill them if the monsters are like monsters then they're fine so you know I don't I, I mean like sure I, I I guess you know there's there's something to be said for that attitude because humans are kind of the top dog making a lot of decisions in a lot of places i don't know like you can kill a few uh you know do sharp husbands and bring down an entire system if you if you try to take out these boogeymen others what's that really going to achieve yeah um so it could be a sort of picking your targets type thing um that's like that's a pretty flimsy justification uh for murdering humans and stuff though i'm not trying to say that that makes it okay but (laughs) uh i mean yeah i mean interestingly these guys do seem nicer than half of the Duchamp husbands he killed. Maybe that's the circumstances thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, I, I just kind of liked from this bit how Blake just sort of naturally assumed that the corpse was his responsibility now. Uh, it's that classic, like, this felt like quintessential Blake uh, with his whole, like, not wanting to have debts thing. Yeah, How definitely. he sort of just, like... Oh, uh, this feels like, like, I, I don't even think when he phrases it, he necessarily meant, oh, karmically, this is mine. Now he was just kind of like, this is my responsibility and almost doesn't distinguish the two in this, in this case. Um, I don't know. I just, I just really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's, it is very, you're right. I didn't kind of think of it as especially Blakeish, but it does tie back to his uh, desperation not to have any debt to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. He always wanted to feel like he was in balance with the universe and and he's sort of doing that here um and then i uh, so i guess the next thing is as he starts to get to to the house he comments on how this scene is an inversion of things uh when he came well he when ross uh came in in 1.1 for the yeah. inheritance yeah uh his family is standing united uh kind of opposite him um his friends uh are here but they're also opposite him He's brought a bunch of new friends. Uh, you know, he's obviously a monster now. Um, it, it's just a cool... It's a cool thing to include in this opening chapter because we haven't seen most of these people for quite a while. Um, like, the, the most recent ones we've seen are Rose and Alistair was in, like, 13.1. And it's, it's like, a nice way to sort of give us a glimpse as to where they all are big picture-wise. Like, they're all clearly standing together yeah it's a really nice way to sort of give us give us that insight um and and sort of have it tied to blake and how different he is uh from the last time he did something like this yeah especially for the now awakened thorburns um who obviously never interacted with rose post being awakened um it's a great way to immediately set up yep they're they're here and they're on team thorburn with the rest of the cabal right it's they're part of the group um yeah, well, I mean, like, we haven't seen most of these people for presumably hours. Yeah. Um, like, the Cabal, even Alistair and Rose, uh, presumably they've all been talking a fair bit. Um, you would think, yeah. So so it's sort of a way to 
give us the impression right away that they're all they've all come together uh, to some extent. Yeah. Um, so Blake and Alastair start to uh, do their little word dance um, before Blake does something pretty unexpected. He he's basically completely transparent with Blake and uh, literally puts all his power in Blake's hands as a way to force Blake to slow down and think about things rather than just be the mindless uh, <laughs> fighting monster that he, he wants to be. I really love Alistair as, a, as an enemy of Blake. They yeah. play off each other so well. Yeah, he's um, great. Like I, I love how Alistair's opening line here is about how Blake's timing is convenient, which timing, of course, he's a behame. Um, and, but Blake's response is just, yep, that's me. I'm Blake, the inconvenience. And... Uh, <laughs> And then from there, Alistair goes into this huge villain monologue where he just pegs Blake, like, like he nails him to a yeah, T. Yeah, perfectly. Uh, with this description of, like, who Blake is or what Blake is. Yeah, this, this, this way that he uses this knowledge of Blake being this warrior spirit, the warrior half, right? Um, and from that, completely predicts that Blake is going to come after him next because, of course, he will because he needs a target to be facing and he's not ready to face Johannes yet. And then uses that and uses what he must know of his psychology to just be like, this will force him to actually stop and have to think. And then once he thinks, he will agree with me because I know I'm right. And it works perfectly. It's great. Yeah, I mean, this is this is why he's so fun as a villain because he can kind of predict the future, but he's also just good at reading people, so he can put that to good use because he knows what questions to ask. Um, and he plays into theat- the theatrics of it all so well. Like, obviously, we get to the bit in it soon where that he predicts there'll be the earthquake in forty seconds, but he doesn't say it's going to be that. He's just like, we will get a sign, um, you know, some sort of signal in forty seconds, yeah. and then just leaves everyone to fucking stew for th- for forty seconds. <laughs> Um, which would be an insanely long 40 seconds yeah. in this situation. Um, and, and then obviously, like, the other the other great theatric speed is, is just how, like, Blake keeps making comments like, I, you know, I'm here to drain the Bahame's power. And Alistair's just like, oh, that's good. And doesn't elaborate yeah. at all. It's such um, a, like, it, not only does it, is it correct and it, in line with what Alistair's planning to do, it's such a great way to throw Blake off of his game. Like, we know Alistair's plan here is to make Blake think, right? Make Blake have to think. And so throwing him off of his game like this is the way to do that. It's so perfect. Oh, and also, I mean, it plays on us, the audience. Like, we, yeah. we know that Alistair's power, plan is going to be to use up all the power for this thing um so like the story's kind of having fun with some dramatic irony and we kind of know where alistair's going with this and blake is just confused and you know blake's done that to us so many times i don't feel bad for him i was just enjoying um the the dramatic irony of all this yeah it serves him right to be honest (laughs) um i so mm, so i kind of feel like now alistair has earned the title of Lord of Jacob's Bell. Like, of all the possible candidates, he is the only one who seems to be somewhat altruistic. <laughs> like, he he's clever, <laughs> he's powerful, and he actually seems to give a shit about people that aren't just the Bahames and the Duchamps. Yeah. I, I, like, obviously, let's give it a bit more time and see, but I don't know. I'm, I'm on board so far. I, you, you're right. I've been struggling with this since last chapter when he revealed this plan to um, poor Drigon friends. Uh, he seems to not be the the worst. Um, as uh, we've already talked about, the exceptionally low bars practitioners have been setting uh, in this story. Um, but Alistair, at this stage, 
doesn't seem like he'd be the worst uh lord actually yeah um although you know he's just he's such a dick like just <laughs> as as an individual like uh, he manages to slip in when he's talking about the ring how he's the first behem to be able to wear it on his ring finger because all the others have been too overweight and it's such an unnecessary like it has he cuts himself off from it because it has no relevance to anything else yeah. he's talking about. But he just he just couldn't help but slip it in there that you know, yep, I'm the I'm the first not fat Bahame leader in quite a while, which is just like what I mean What's that matter? Like it, the reason <laughs> he says it is because in his mind he's the chosen one, right? Like that's yeah. an important thing to remember for Alistair's <laughs> Alistair's <laughs> character is he thinks that this ring is made for him. And look, it fits me where it hasn't fit all the other Bahames. I must be the chosen one. Uh, yeah i i agree but it's just yeah, it's you know, such a like, dick move <laughs> he'd be one, he'd be one of those if he is the best candidate for leader you put him in leadership and then i just would never want to be in direct contact with him again yeah let him do that stuff and we'll go do other stuff <laughs> um so quick intermission you know from the alistair uh, love here there's this one bit where the faceless woman just starts combing green eyes's hair <laughs> and it's so weird yes. and it's like both hilarious and terrifying i don't know what the fuck's going on with it <laughs> boogeyman just being cute moments are uh, they work so well for me um they always seem to pick the most insane moments to just start doing mundane things like this like you can totally see it from the faceless woman's point of view she's like man things have really sort of slowed down these guys are just having a chat i'm bored i'm just gonna start combing this girl's hair she really needs it <laughs> um like it's so yeah i, I could I, I don't think i'd ever get sick of this stuff this is fantastic yeah it, it feels like an extension of how blake and green eyes always seem to be talking about uh like relationship drama during their fight scenes <laughs> No, exactly. It feels like the same sort of thing as that. Absolutely. Um, one more interesting line from this bit, I think. Rose says to Alistair, after Alistair passes her the ring to throw to Blake, Rose says, you trust him more than I do. Which is, it's to Alistair, and, and Blake suspects that that's not meant to be, he's not meant to hear that. Um, I don't, like, it's just an interesting line. Like, the fact that Rose, okay, we know Rose doesn't trust Blake a lot, but Alistair does trust him more than Rose? Like, it just seems so weird. I don't know. Trusting him more than Rose probably isn't a sure, high bar. Sure, um, and, No, I mean, but it is interesting because, like, I went back and skimmed 13.1 just to make sure I was remembering right, and, like, Rose and Blake got on pretty well yeah that that like you know before blake accidentally stabbed alistair a bit and and things went south yeah classic they problems made, yeah um you know as you do but they were making really good progress they were basically like when he stabbed alistair they were in the process of making that deal where blake would be sealed and just sort of go with alexis assuming she agreed to yeah her. um so it it does to me feel that maybe something has changed a bit since then. Um, like, I don't know if Rose maybe was just found it easier to be nicer to Blake because the situation was so stacked against him or whether maybe since then she's learnt more. Like, obviously, she's conferred with the Cabal and uh, the other Thorburns in, in the last few hours. Maybe uh, all the stories they told her of what Blake has been up to turned turned her against him even more. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but it does it does seem like she's even less on Blake's side than she was an arc ago. Yeah, 
it looks like we're all going to be on the same team moving forward. So I can't wait to kind of see this continue to evolve. It might, it might just be that she left Blake to keep everyone safe at the house. And now we're back at the house and it's obviously been like burned and flooded. And suddenly the rest of the Thorburns are all, you know, awakened and all this shit's happened. Callan's dead. Like so much stuff that Rose was kind of like, uh, Blake, I left you in charge here. What the fuck? I mean, he kind of admitted to most of that in 13.1, actually. Um, yeah, like He true. told her Callan died. And also, I mean, I guess I'd be interested to hear what the others said, but I feel like if I was there, and having seen it from Blake's point of view, I would have come out for it and be like, you don't really need to hold too much of this against Blake. Like, we did everything we fucking could. Yeah, um, yeah. There were some questionable decisions being made, but I don't know what else they're expected to uh, do. The, the one-sentence summary of... Yeah, and then Blake, you know, took us down into the abyss for a bit, but it's fine. <laughs> like, if I was Rose, I'd be like, uh, mm-hmm. hmm. That's very fair, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, some clowns almost killed Catherine. Some guy almost <laughs> threw Roxanne out a window. But we're all good. It's all good. Um, anyway, so Alistair gives Blake the the ring uh, that allows him to access the Behemoth of Power and uh, tells Blake his plan and says to Blake, Hey, if we don't carry this this out, this is what's going to happen. Jacob's bell is going to fall into the abyss, and uh, with uh, with the ring in Blake's hand, he is forced to agree that that uh, Alistair's in the right, and so he gives back the ring. And I love this just from a purely practitioner standpoint: how he gives Blake the power and makes him make this decision. Like you can totally see how, in the spirit's mind, this makes it way so much more. Mm. Like, uh, like it's 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 basically exactly what happened with Blake and um uh, Mason McCullough, the the good good karma guy. Where yeah, he, you know that guy was like, if you think it's right, stab me as much as you want, and uh, you know, I, but I'm betting it's fine. It turns out he was wrong, and this is kind of what Alistair's doing here. He's so sure that Blake will see that what needs to happen is right, that he can give Blake the ring and know he's going to get it back, and that's clearly going to give him some power over Blake. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good play. I'm glad it works out for Alistair where it didn't work out for Mason. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, don't, um, I like how Alistair frames it as uh, the tide is too much with Blake, so he just wants to swim laterally rather than trying to fight against yeah, it. Yeah, like it's Sam perfect. Did. It's a perfect um, play. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and so then obviously I think the, the, the realisation we get from this sort of segment um, as, as shit starts to go down is... So it looks like the abyss is the puppeteer that uh, Pordrig was was talking about last chapter. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, like, I think this is one of my first guesses. Like, it does make a lot of sense. It's it, something that has been talked about since Blake first got out in Arc Ten. Is that the abyss loves to cause chaos through the boogeyman? And um, well, I mean, look at Jacob's Bell mission fucking accomplished thanks to Blake and some of the others. Um, it does kind of seem like Blake's the center of it, which is maybe why he's become the center of this uh, downward dip. Uh, I mean, he really shouldn't have taken a second trip to the abyss. He set up a whole three beat. This was a huge mistake. <laughs> um, so does this mean that you think the abyss is sentient? I think we've known for a while now that it has some sort of intelligence. Yeah. I, I fought against that a lot in Arc 9 from memory. Like you, I think you kept sort of trying to convince me that it yeah. maybe has some, and I kept saying no, and then... Definitely towards the end of there and afterwards, like I, I've come to see, like it definitely does seem to have some kind of intelligence or basic will at least. I, I, I don't know how much it might be above, say, a big spirit, uh, but it's definitely got its own motivations and some 
sort of intelligence to help push people in the directions that serve that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, there's a uh, there's an interesting bit here where Alexis mouths words at Blake, and he thinks, I suspected I knew what they were. I want to hear what <laughs> you think they are, Elliot. I'm assuming it might be an I'm sorry. Mm. That, that was my first guess. Yep. I haven't come up with anything better. Uh, you could throw a cut ties in there for good luck. Um, <laughs> cut not really. ties. Not really relevant. Uh, probably bad advice in Pact too, yeah. especially when we're trying to keep him out of the abyss. Yeah, cut but, uh... tires means go back down to the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I'm assuming it's I'm sorry. I yeah, I don't know. I, I'm hoping there's 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 such a long list of people I want Blake to have conversations with next chapter as we start planning as a group because you know every member of the Cabal, every member of the Thorburn family, more Alistair, obviously Rose, but there's yeah. I just, this whole arc could just be like catching up with everyone again and I'd be completely fine with it. A good way to spend your bonus day is just chit chat with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I just, I I think we should touch on a little bit more how great of a plan this was by Alistair. Like he so (laughs) effectively got Blake from, yeah, let's kill Alistair too. Okay, let's help Alistair. Like it's a complete (laughs) turnaround and it's so perfectly executed. I mean, obviously part of that was that part of his plan was already to spend all the behind power, which we're still not talking about how ludicrously insane that yeah. is. But um, yeah, you, you're right. He played this so well. And now I guess we're going to be fighting Johannes. Like that's, that seems to be what they imply. Uh, I think at the end of the chapter, like the way it's phrased at the end, it's not, oh, let's, let's stop the abyss. Um, I guess this is Alistair's whole moving laterally thing. He just wants to make sure Johannes goes down. And I don't know. Like, because I, I think it'd be easier to get Johannes on side to fight the Abyss than the other way around. Mm. Um, or, you know, the Abyss probably needs to be stopped more than Johannes even. Can't yeah. believe I'm taking Johannes' side on something. But, <laughs> um, yeah, like, obviously they seem to imply that Johannes would be safe from everything falling into the Abyss because of his domain. Yeah. But um, we talked a bunch uh, when we met Crooked Hat last arc about how domains can end up in there too. So maybe... I don't know, I wouldn't have worked off the assumption that Johannes is particularly safe if, if a whole town and everyone else's domains is going to slip through. Yeah, it's interesting that Johannes is set up as being safe. Like, I don't know what to think of that. Maybe it's just because his domain is so big that it, like, doesn't, it won't count in the area that's been affected by Blake and the Abyss. I, I, I don't know. Yes, I, or I, I'm kind of thinking about like the the thing that will protect Jacob's Bell is the innocence still staying in the town. Right? Yeah. And You're maybe right. there's if he something can stop the innocence from leaving his domain, which he probably yeah has some ability to do. Maybe that helps him. Or the fact that the north end does seem to be the more like developed part of town. Mm, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just like I wouldn't have thought the way this chapter ends that the next item of business would be fighting Johannes. I would assume the next item of business is how do we stop this whole place going to the abyss? Uh, yeah, I, I suspect they're or at least Alistair thinks they're more linked because we do talk about how Johannes is uh, either helping this along or, um, or uh, you know, leveraging it. And so it's kind of, you can't do one without the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was working off the assumption that Johannes was just going to keep playing his game of, hey, look at my big domain. I'm just going to chill out in here. You guys kill the fuck out of each other for me, please. Yeah. Because uh, it's been working pretty, pretty damn well for him so yeah, far. Yeah, so far it's a good plan. Um, I guess we'll see how it unfolds throughout the rest of Sine Die. Yes, uh, 
But obviously that's the end of 14.1. And uh, so just before we we, uh, hop out of your ears, uh, we're going to talk about the discussion question that's gone on for the last week. Yep. Um, So to remind you, that discussion question was, should Blake be proud of the way he handled the Duchamps? Yes. um, And so our first and most thought-provoking answer that we got uh, comes from Doof's own Matt Freeman, who responded... The people he murdered were practitioners, so yes. Um, yep. So, you know, what to Good. think about from yeah. that one. Thanks, thanks. Um. <laughs> uh, can we... <laughs> I want to pull out an answer by Brawl97, um, who does something that a few uh, listeners did and broke it down into a few different perspectives. Um, so Brawl97 broke yeah. it down into the spiritual perspective, uh, which is that uh, he's been shat on by the Duchamps for so long that it's good that he gets a little bit of uh, comeuppance. Um, And the human perspective, where these people were horrible and so it's kind of fine that Blake uh, killed them. (laughs) Um, The one that they let get away was arguably one of the worst, who uh, enslaved mentally uh, people. So that's pretty bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, no, I mean that makes sense. I, I definitely agree, agreed with Brawl ninety seven from that whole spiritual perspective. Like uh, that they mentioned, you know, if where the spirits and stuff like there was definitely a cathartic sense to some of the points where Blake yeah. just fucked up the universe back a bit. So I completely agreed. Like uh, from a sort of spirit perspective, I was like, yeah, this was fucking cool. Um, the human's perspective is obviously a bit more like, hmm, but should we have done it? Uh, and yeah i i don't know like i guess we'd have to go back and and sort of look at all of them but like i think you could argue that letting one of the worst ones get away does that kind of undermine what he did you know yeah like he he took out the middle of the pack he didn't take out the worst of the worst i don't know yeah um i interestingly brawl 97 also kind of came back to this answer the next chapter and was kind of like mm, seeing the collateral damage that happened in 13.x he, he, it, it changed to a soft no, uh, just because it was a little bit too much to be fully comfortable with. Yeah, I mean that's Corvette's fault. That's not Blake's. Um, well, sure. It's interesting to see how Blake how Blake thinks about that. Yeah, Blake kind of created the conditions Sorry? for that to happen anyway, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he he also let Corvette out, so sure. But you know, yeah. I think we we've talked about whether or not you should be blamed for Corvetteisms uh, in the past. Yeah, and I think it depends exactly. But like Blake. Blake tried to leave it in a situation that was going to work out very well for everyone before Corvette got involved. Um, but this does kind of uh, leap into uh, Juanson's answer, um, where Juanson talked about how Blake probably shouldn't feel that proud, or maybe not even that unproud. Like it's just you know there was some good done here, there was some bad stuff, but the the dominoes haven't all fallen yet. Um, and I sort of like. I like this whole angle of viewing it and it's like you you shouldn't just pick a decision like you can't just be proud of it and you're going to stick by those guns forever like you kind of look mm. at what all the fallout is from your actions and reevaluate whether or not it's a good thing as it continues to unfold so maybe yeah. yes like if if um if he was still there when sandra calmed everyone down he could have been proud of it then and then when corvette blew it all to shit maybe that's when you're like oh maybe i shouldn't have done this <laughs> yeah i i think something else i liked that once and touched on uh, which not that many other people touched on was some of these practitioners, they, we don't know that they deserve to die. Like some of them, <laughs> I'm comfortable saying, yes, this person deserved to die. But some of them, like the, 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 uh, the Pyromancer brothers, right? And, uh, Mason McCullough, like, 
did they deserve to die? We don't really know what their crimes were. Yeah, like, um, I, I, I don't know how convincingly we pass the threshold of reasonable doubt to, to borrow, like, the legal definition. Yeah. Um, there was definitely not, wait, like, you know, well, Mason McCullough's inst- instance, there was no evidence that he'd done anything wrong. There were lots of suspicions, but, um, I, I feel like that kill was almost just because he had tons of good karma and Blake ain't about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Like, okay, there were six kills, and I reckon three of them you could say, yes. Capital punishment is okay for this one. <laughs> um, yeah, just I'd have to go back and look, but um, like I, I think you're right. There's a couple where it's just sort of like, mm, are we judge jury executionering a bit here? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so who else had a good answer? Uh, let's touch on. Uh, oh yeah, here's one. So so Hyperman kind of points out. That it could have been a lot worse, which I think I guess is a good defense. Um, Blake did give most of them a chance to kind of repent or, or, or defend themselves, uh, especially in the first half. He kind of lost that a bit later on. Um, but yeah, so could have been worse. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sahibum 7 really focused on this last moment where he basically gave the Duchamps an out and well, you know, he was just like, stop being fuckwits and we can end this. Yeah. And you know, basically as the spirits kind of agreed when he did this and they sort of refused, that's definitely when Blake got the, the spiritual and arguably the moral high ground. Um, because those two things are separate, uh, usually. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, as the Hyperman seven said, it wasn't perfect, but, uh, you know, extenuating circumstances, right? Yeah. Um, yeah um and and so i think one of the other ones that i really liked was uh david l hunt uh popped in to just sort of mention that blake needs to treat evan better before he can be proud of anything yeah uh which yes like yep hard to argue with that logic yeah um something i guess i want to touch on here is the the wording of the question was kind of intentional it's not just did blake do the right thing it's should blake be proud of this right yeah and i maybe was a little unnerved by the amount of people that were like yes be proud of these murders blake be proud of them (laughs) i don't know um yeah i yeah i i guess it's interesting because it's it's hard to argue with some of the positive results this may have ended up with yeah i guess we'll see corviday uh has has come in to interfere but it, it does kind of feel like maybe there could have been otherwise i don't know i don't know yeah, I, I'm not comfortable necessarily just jumping on and being like, yeah, you should be proud that you killed these people. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with some of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think points have been made to sway me to think, yes, this was the right thing to do with a lowercase r. Um, I, I don't know. Proud of it? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think one interesting thing, this is kind of a bit of a tangent from what you were just talking about, but Beard of Valor um, wrote in an answer that I just wanted to bring up because um, they kind of talked about how Blake, well, something they sort of talked around is Blake has kind of demonstrated here a way to use the system against itself. Like he, the, the, particularly the way he finished the uh, Sandra right at the end, um, he, he played into the system to undermine it. And that's something we've seen a lot of people talk about, but not necessarily follow through on. So maybe part of this will come down to where Blake goes from here. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I guess we will see. You're right that this was Blake using the system for his own gains. Um, 
I don't know. I think something from last chapter that stood out was Blake being like, there was that little monologue where he was like, yeah, maybe I will use the system, whatever. At the end, I'll just be Blake. And it's kind of like, no, Blake, you want to fight the system. Don't just compromise. Don't just say, yeah, maybe I will use it. Like, that's a step down the wrong path. Yeah, well, or maybe it's not um, mm. based on how the end of the second half of Arc 13 went. Well, yeah, true. Maybe it's the right decision or... Uh, but that that's so weird to say because it's like, okay, maybe it was right to play within the system. Wait, but actually what you ended up doing was just murdering a bunch of people, especially <laughs> the ones in the second half who were the, the less morally justifiable ones to kill, right? It started out with Blake killing the most yeah. reprehensible I think I'm starting ones. To, and, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm starting to sit more and more on team... Uh, wait, wait and see uh, what happens because I also feel like that'll be us. Uh, that'll give us an opportunity to see what uh, what Pact might have to say about this. Like I feel like the way Corviday has kind of ruined any of the goodness of of what Blake did is probably a hint that um the story doesn't necessarily agree that what Blake yeah. did here was correct. Yeah. Um, and and we'll probably get more of that moving forward. And if the if Blake's goal was okay, yes, I want to use the system for the greater good. Like, hey, maybe the Duchamps would have helped band against Jacob's Bell sinking into the abyss. And maybe this, the lack of, you know, one third of the town's power now is going to mean that that is a much harder battle. Like, it, mm. I don't know. It kind of feels like he played within the system and all that really ended up happening was he's aided the abyss. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see more of where the abyss comes into it. Because you're right, that's another angle 13.x took to maybe undermine Blake's position here is uh, saying that the abyss might have been giving him a boost and, and playing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll see, I guess, uh, throughout the rest of Cine DA uh, Arc 14. So, um, of course, now that this discussion question is over, and thank you for all your lovely answers, folks, we have a new discussion question. Um, we're going to step away from the ethics a little bit, take a, take a bit of a break on that one. And uh, this discussion question is another nice little uh, world-building, uh, theory-crafting kind of discussion question. Um, and that is, what other places, you know, real or fictional, might have sunk into the abyss? Hmm. And, and so, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I don't know, because if something like Jacob's Bell falls into the abyss, does, does it just disappear from written memory? Or, you know, like, like I guess, you know, Atlantis is the first one that sort of jumps to my mind um, when we ask this. Um, and, and maybe even Maggie's Maggie's old hometown. Like, mm -hmm. we don't know what happened there, but uh, well, I can't imagine it has many connections left. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm interested to hear of other people's ideas of what sort of places could have... Uh, falling apart like Jacob's Bell is and, and ending up in the abyss. Yeah. Um, so leave your answers to that discussion question in our discussion threads, which you can find linked down in the episode description down below. Yes. Uh, the other place uh, we can also be found is on Twitter, at MediumD Podcast. Uh, with, with the holiday season sort of coming up, uh, our recording schedule is accelerating uh, a bit ahead of mm -hmm. the chapters we'll be releasing. Uh, so there's there's sort of an updated uh, live reads schedule. I'm going to keep doing the live reads, but they're going to be way out of time with the episodes for about the next month and a bit. Uh, so, you know, you you can keep up to that on Twitter. Um, also, doformedia.com forward slash calendar has uh, all of the entries in there. Yep. Uh, while you're on doofmedia.com, why don't you check out some of the other great shows on the Doof Media Network? Um, it's been Thanksgiving, so it's been a little light while uh, our American uh, friends 
take some time off like the slackers that they are. But uh, oh. we're starting to get back into the podcast season. Uh, there'll be a new episode of Say coming out tomorrow. Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, Doof also has a bunch of stuff that uh, is in our Discord, uh, which is available via patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for just $1 a month, you'll get on there. Something that's that's on there is uh, Behamebot, which is a bot that tells you uh, even more information than the Doof calendar uh, on doofmedia.com. Or not more information, just better information uh, that isn't limited by Google Calendar. Yep. Um, and you know, it also has a Doofcraft server on there, yeah. which is what we call Minecraft that's Doof flavored. <laughs> yeah. I used to say that the best perk of being a patron at any level was the discord, but, uh, now it's the Minecraft server. So, uh, it's the, the discord <laughs> has been unseated. Um, if you want to get access to all this stuff, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Doof Media. Yes, and there is www.patreon.com forward slash Wobbo mm, as well. Mm. And uh, if you go there, uh, Wobbo won't sink into the abyss because you'll have connections to all his lovely Patreons. Yep, financial connections, the best kind. Um, so make sure you support <laughs> Wobbo, and uh, we'll see you soon for the next episode, CineDA 14.2, on Wednesday the 4th of December. So we will see you then. See ya. See ya.